This conversation for Project Sovereign was with James Tunney. He's a very intelligent guy who speaks about mysticism and the role it has to play in human evolution. He's an author of numerous books, including The Mystical Accord and The Mystery of Trapped Light. We talk about the Scientocracy, how science is being used as a weapon in the age of anti-spirituality. We also spoke about passivity as a philosophy and where James thinks the world is heading. I believe James's work will become very popular in the near future. Um, take a listen and let me know what you think. Onto the podcast. James, thank you for taking the time to be with me at uh, Project Sovereign today. Uh, thanks for the invitation, Alex. Appreciate your, your, your work and the invitation. Thank you. I first came across yourself, uh, James, a couple of months ago on Jeffrey Mishlove's show. I thought you guys had a, a very meaningful conversation about the importance of mysticism and the role that it has to play in today's world. Can you give us a bit of background for some context on how you got into this line of work? Okay. Um, my background academically is in law. So I studied law for seven years, three degrees in law, qualified as a barrister. Uh, went off to Spain for a couple of years, took a break, and then I came back and I taught law for about 15 years. So I was a lecturer, a senior lecturer, and I was interested in subjects that were be of the future, subjects that would be coming on stream. So I, I liked to look ahead. I was, I, I'm very interested in that context. So I was involved in a lot of issues about globalization, the evolution of the European community, and that kind of stuff. Um, then... Uh, I we decided to move to Sweden, leave the academic world, uh, had a family, and I, I decided to concentrate to go in a different direction to concentrate on painting, which I'd always done. But I thought it was time to make the break, to, to move away from the, the the comfort of the academic world. It worked out fine for me. So, I mean, I, I have um, I enjoyed the academic world. I was grateful for what I had there. Um, so I left on my own accord different direction and I, I left behind all my contacts generally because I wanted to really seriously focus on art. So I've been painting art and writing in a creative sense. Mm. So I, I focused on those things and over a period of time I began to feel the mystical element coming true and it came true in particular ways even for example in relation to the origin of the mystical accord the, the first book I, I wrote it, it's it seemed to come in a mystical way whereby the 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 words and the lines appear out of nowhere now of course we can rationalize that as coming from a different part of the brain or subconscious mm. and i've always been interested in those type of things so it's not as if spirituality is new to me i mean from a catholic background originally and also from a kind of Celtic background in Ireland. There's a there's a close touch. Or people are had been closely in touch with the earth, with spirituality. There's a, there's the remnants there, as as there is in England, as you you know well. So that was always been there. So it's not as if I haven't been involved in these things. But I was forced to look again at mysticism, and that led me back to look again at the literature, literature that I had read over a long period of time, but I wanted to test my perceptions with the literature that was there. So I, I wrote my, for example, The Mystical Accord, and then went back and looked at all the great, the great ideas and began to uh, integrate some of the ideas, but the, the structure was my own. Mm. 
Mm. And the, the, the original idea in relation that, that struck me as very important, I was walking home from leaving my daughter to school one day. We'd been climbing trees on the, on the way. We're late, uh, having fun as you should do. And, and on the way home, it just came into me and had an idea that, that there's been a certain failure of spiritual evolution. And that was a, a key idea. I kind of, it surprised me in its simplicity. And I began to think about it and more lines came in. And uh, I, I wrote them all in, in haiku form, 17 syllables. So if it came into my head in 17 syllables, I, I kind of saw that it was in that vein. And as a result of that, I began to uh, enhance or, or, or develop that line. And uh, when I, I was looking around, Je Je Jeffrey Mishlove is, of course, a leader in, in this area in the study of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And going back for a long time and through his contacts, he's, he's a authoritative figure in this domain. So uh, he liked the book a, a lot. And from there, we began a dialogue, and a, a kind of enriching dialogue. And I've, I've written other stuff as well. But I think that the painting was critical as well concentrating on painting in evolving that psychic or uh, dimension. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it came out of uh, that individual journey. In, in many senses, retreating from the academic world was equivalent of going into a cave. Now, I know you've, you've had your journey as well and, and went out on your own search. And you, so you understand that process and everyone has to do it in their own way. So for me, it was withdrawing from the public eye. I had no desire to, to really get back into the public eye, but then the studying of the mystical and spiritual path forced me to look at contemporary issues and forced me to look at processes I knew about to try and make sense of it, because not everyone has a luxury to draw, draw on a wide range of different contexts to try and make sense. So I so if that, if that's a answers your question mm -hmm. you mentioned there about the the individual's path i think it's it's easy for people to get lost in like a dogmatic uh, group think particularly in like the spiritual and mystical communities nowadays is that they sort of put the guru on the stage and we sort of sometimes bow down to this guru as if that is the only way to to reach higher levels of consciousness how important do you think the the individual's path less traveled is in comparison to that sort of collectivist. Cause very often you can sort of, they're at loggerheads in my mind as well, the individual and the collective. I'm not sure there's a right answer, but how important do you think the individual path itself is? Um, I, I think it's critical. Uh, and I genuinely don't put other people or put a hierarchy in my, in my mind, especially because a person has a hierarchical system behind them. I, I don't personally believe that uh, some of the figures that we elevate are necessarily spiritually higher. And this is crucial because every individual has access to the same fundamental consciousness or spirit or spiritual consciousness. So for me, the spiritual consciousness is, is the same phenomenon. What, what the individual has to do is to access believe and realize their full potential. So the great lie in many senses is that individuals need something else beyond themselves. And the great schools, as you know, from Advaita Vedanta is that you, you look in uh, on yourself. It's mm -hmm. there already. So, so for me, the idea of the guru is not uh, one that I'm very comfortable with. I'm very suspicious 
about bowing down before other, other people. Uh, of course, you have to accord respect to people. You have to, you know, you can learn off other people. There are people that are skilled in, in certain domains, but it's a mistake to give away your sovereignty uh, to other people. And I know you're, 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 that's an idea that you're interested in or, or very conscious of as well. So when I, I looked at, at, at mysticism, my idea was, well, if the individual has access, which I believe everyone has to a higher kind of level of perception or even knowledge, well, then we should build from the ground up. Mm. So when we talk, when you start a dialogue saying about God or something, it's a very, very difficult place to go and it's easy to, but really we have to start from our own experience. So it's a mixture of, of the psychological integrative idea and the idea that the reality is something that we can experience ourselves. So it's critical in my view that each individual takes ownership of their own life, takes ownership of their own spirituality and goes on their own journey. It's, it's not a journey for heroes only. Everyone has to be the hero. Everyone has to take that journey themselves. They can't farm it out to someone else. They can't live their lives. Well, they can't want to, but uh, if you want to evolve spiritually, you can't farm your life out to some actor you see on screen who is going to do it for you, even if they're acting. Yeah. So uh, that, that's critical for me, the individual starting point and the individual experience of it, because mysticism is about an experience of a higher reality. It's yeah. not reading about something. Do you consider that to be, the, the, it might be a, a very big question, but the purpose of actually existing is that evolution of consciousness? I do. Yeah, I do. I think that I think that consciousness of its nature is meant to and is going to expand and develop. And in the individual uh, context, the individual's purpose, I believe, is to spiritually evolve. And uh, the process of evolution of the spirit is the solution to many of the problems we have. Yeah. Now, the contrary approach is that we're going to evolve mechanically through transhumanism, through assimilation into machine. Mm. Now, we're at a crossroads in that sense. So failure to evolve spiritually or failure to believe that we're, we're spiritual beings with spiritual consciousness with a potential to develop will mean that we will be forced to go the other path. And that will be disastrous. And that will be disastrous of, uh, disastrous in, in a kind of universal you know, uh, context. Mm. So... Um, and where do yeah. you, uh, let, without uh, um, a magic ball, where do you think we're actually heading in regards to this transhumanistic reality that we seem to be moving into? Because it's happening very quickly. It's happening very quickly. Uh, the idea has been around, if you go back in particular to, there's a number of different dimensions to it. The first idea is that man is a machine. It's just a clever kind of machine. This goes back to the Enlightenment, goes back to French thinkers in the mm -hmm. mid-18th century. So that, that, that idea, man is a machine, then you'd say more sophisticated, well, man is just a computer or something, it's biology. And that, that's not true, uh, but, but that's one idea. And then they say, well, okay, if you don't believe that you are a machine, you will be a machine anyway. You're going to be. You're going to move from humankind to machine in gradual steps cyborg first and people are saying well you have a mobile phone you're a cyborg already so this this is a movement towards and, and why would that movement happen the attractiveness of that idea is that we can be controlled because the messiness of life 
has always been about this inability to control other people. And there's always, if you look at Lewis Mumford and that, he talks mm -hmm. about the, um, this tendency, there's always a tendency to autocracy, authoritarianism. It's there throughout history. Now, this network that we have, or network effects in relation to technology, means that that force is, becomes irresistible. There's a kind of vortex towards that that is going to be very, very difficult to get out of. Mm -hmm. We're made dependent uh, on these networks. We won't be able to escape them. Uh, the mobile phones will progress in some way. So it's a, mm -hmm. if people don't stop and, and, and realize that it's an inescapable movement towards a centralized, centripetal force, we're in trouble. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, so they do go together. They do go together about, because if, if you're saying, for example, that machines are more important, usually it is an argument that there's no such thing as human consciousness, there's no such thing as the self, there's no such thing as the person, there's no such thing as the individual. And even the, even the present Pope uh, is, is saying that individual, individualism should be replaced with fr uh, fraternalism. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm very critical of that, that view. And I don't believe it reflects the tradition even within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Because we're seeing, particularly right now, what's going on in the world, uh, like a, I don't know even know if this is a word, like a scientocracy, where science is now the new priest class. And that's been put at the very top of uh, our hierarchy. And we need to bow down to these pr new, new class of priests. And if we don't, you then get some form of abuse by saying, you know, you, you're a conspiracy theorist or something, just by questioning this science class that's there, do you, is it like, I know you're in Sweden, is it like that over there? Because it is in the UK. Um, yes, it, it is, but it's, it's quite universal now because if we look, if we look back at this idea, uh, as, as you mentioned about the Scientocracy, uh, if we go back a hundred years, we can see the origins of, in particular, of the modern idea of the Scientocracy or the Technocracy. And it emerges in books by people like John Desmond Bernal, who was born in Tipperary, actually, but uh, uh, worked in, in, in Britain, who was, was an X-ray crystallographer. And in a book, uh, the, the World, the Flesh and the Devil, in, uh, in 29, he talked about the future. He talked about future when scientific corporations take over. They were more power than governments, that the scientific class will rule that the docile population will be left, uh, that there will be a process of merging of, of humankind and machine. There will be a process of leaving the earth for the scientific elite and the technocrats that help them. And he also said that the, those that remain on the earth might be uh, in some type of human zoo that experiments could be performed. I mean, this is, this is what they've said openly. Uh, and also from that era, we have H.G. Wells, the open conspiracy people say there's, there's you know it's a no conspiracy well he said that science should take over the world there should be no religion uh, and that should be taken away um, so the the idea of the scientocracy is there it's been opposed and people warned us like c.s lewis warned us that this was going to happen in, mm -hmm. in books like the abolition of man etc he anticipated these issues because once you, you begin to elevate science, now we're not just talking about science, scientism is, is the description properly of the misuse of science, where you, you apply scientific method as an ideology, and you apply it beyond the, the, the methodological 
context uh, inappropriately. So in relation to um, scientism, that will displace any ideas of humanness, humanity, restraint on, on, uh, you know, on, on doing things that we considered unethical, because science doesn't have a real embedded ethical dimension to it. Mm. Science is very good. And I've gone back to your question about the, uh, the, the priestly class, the analogy is correct because science always points out what happens with Galileo or what happened, with, you know, the Inquisition, shout about the Inquisition, etc. But they never mention about all the experiments that they did in the 20th century, for example, experiments on people that weren't informed about what was going on, horrible experiments. They never attribute that to science in some way. They never take moral responsibility. They're very good at pointing what was wrong with other institutions, but they never do. And they never will because there's no obligation, especially when they're in a class, they're quite clear. There is nothing to constrain them. And J.D. Bernal said that the scientists, and he, he admitted that he said it in, in this book, that scientific curiosity will outweigh their humanity. Mm. So curiosity is the driving force. So we're also told that scientists are going to save the world, you know, because they're love of the environment. But actually their, their history is not about loving the environment. A lot of the problems are caused by science and that will continue to, to do so as we, with a patent system and in, in releasing more things into the environment. So putting your eggs in the basket of science to protect the, protect the environment sounds a bit crazy to me. Mm. Yeah, and also that, that one of the things I tend to find with science, the scientific community is that they refuse to acknowledge people like Newton. He was a, he was a, uh, a researcher into the mysteries. He, he wasn't just a materialist scientist at the time. Um, That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They refused to just acknowledge. He was a very heavily religious guy, I believe. Um, and that's something else that they, they flat out refuse to, to admit because to me, science today, although it plays a huge role in our development, it also has become its own religion. And uh, if that's ever, you know, mentioned that science is now a religion, as you say, there's no ethical um, consequence to anything that they get wrong. I was reading the other day about they were lobotomizing people in the early 20th century in the, in the US, going around the, the country, pulling out people's brains, and nothing was ever done. I mean, he didn't even go to prison or nothing. This guy, he was there preaching on stage. Nothing's ever mentioned, and yet we're, we're, we're here today, 100 years later. A lot of what's going on today, I don't think they know what's going on with this. We don't need to get into it too deeply, the vaccine and stuff and all this. I don't think there's that much proof that all of this is actually working, but we hold them in such high regard that um, anything that anyone that questions that now is automatically labelled as an outsider. And that is to me, Orwellian authoritarian collectivist group think. Um, and I think we're, we're heading down a very dangerous path until, until people with a sense of spiritual knowing within them, it's like your bullshit detector goes through the roof and you can just, something feels off. And, and to me, that's what's going on right now. Anybody who's got that inner intuition knows that something isn't quite right. Well, there's a few points there. First, of course, we can also consider all the experiments in the 20th century in the US where they injected people with syphilis, uranium. Mm. That, that, that's there. So, but that's never on the agenda when we're talking about some of these issues. We don't hear a lot about all the people that are addicted to pharmaceuticals that they, you know, they buy and they're 
they're living in a stupor. There's, there's millions of people around the world uh, in that official drug trade. So, I mean, that's always uh, put to the side. And we're talking about Newton. Um, he, he certainly, as, as you mentioned, his esoteric background in alchemy, he was also a master of the mint. And in that context would have been involved in executions some as a result of the evidence that that he you know uh, he he put forward and he did go around looking for people so these they're good at pointing at people again in the inquisition which is appropriate but their own heroes if you look at closely uh at what they, and it's funny newton involved in currency i mean that connection is 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 one that that's people don't really pay attention to um so the uh, the, the, in relation to the contemporary context, uh, again, there's a lot of people having a lot of discussions, so everyone can make their own mind. All I would say is that I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Blue Lies September, which was out before in, in, in 2019. It's quite it's quite a difficult book, so it's not everyone's cup of tea. Mm. But in that book, I, I had a, a natural disaster occurring in London, which led to draconian legislation. Uh, and curfews, uh, you know, so people were saying, well, who could have thought that? Well, actually, in my book, <laughs> I had that <laughs> breakdown. And the, the, so there was actually something that happened, that, but the point was that it was utilized as an opportunity for people that wanted a particular thing, and in this context, uh, technocracy. Um, so, so my intuition was there beforehand, so that's, that's on record. Mm. Um, and I was concerned about that because uh, the protection of rights in, in, in the United Kingdom is very flimsy in many senses. When I, was, when I was a boy, remember that they introduced internment in Northern Ireland, just up the road, uh, so that you can be in prison without trial. Now, that's in the, in the, in the, in the 60s and 70s. So Amazing. that's from under the British, uh, you know, the British government. We're not going through all that stuff again. Mm. The, 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 our interests as citizens of the world are... Are the same. We're, we're, now we're in a different context, so our interests are the same. And even in, in, in that context, if you look at the, uh, the 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 book written about the history of slavery in in the United States, and he starts off by saying that a lot of the things that were done in the slavery context had been proven in Ireland and also in England to the the, the people in, in England. So they had suffered from the system for hundreds of years as well. So uh, people go on then and kind of put the blame on all the people. But the truth was that they are oppressed by these systems as well. Mm. So the uh, science is, in, in, so in, in the contemporary context, the great danger is whether there's something there or not is that it can be utilized to achieve the purpose. And the purpose would be this scientocracy, the technocracy or another Another stream in this is the idea of the technotronic society, which developed in the United States by Brzezinski and, and guys like that, uh, who was significant in relation to China. Bernal's theories are important in China as well, the science of science. So all is heading towards that context. And it may be that we will see this year that globalization was only a tactic. It's not the end game. It was a tactic to get to a point where this could happen and then we won't have globalization in the same way. We'll have a control system because artificial intelligence, cybernetics, all this stuff is about control. It's about control, computation, and associated with that another stream is credit. What credit you have, 
what money you have. If we move towards a, current, a digital currency, for example, it'll be like a computer game. You have, you have some things in your screen and that's you, but it can also be cut off as well. So uh, it, it, it's, the opportunism is very concerning. Do you, th do you see China as a, like a, a hotbed of where these things begin and then sort of come out into the world? Because that, you've mentioned a lot of things there, like the, the social credit system and things like that. That's already going on over there, isn't it? Yes, yeah. But uh, no, I don't see, not, not really. Um, not as the primary, as a secondary source. Because remember, if we go back a generation, China wasn't in a strong position. It was only in a strong position because it was supported by various interests outside of China. And there are other people. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting forward this argument, but Yukio Mishima, for example, argued that uh, this support of the communists in China by the US was something that, 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 that one has to interpret the, the, the relationship with Manchuria and all that stuff with. Now, I'm not saying that's the case. But the, the, there has been a lot of interest outside China that has influenced its, deve its development and has helped it. Mm. So they're being manifested in China now, but the same systems are going to happen here because it doesn't matter whether it's China or the, or the West. They're both materialists in, 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 the, in their approach. So the capitalist and the, the communist system leads to the same thing. Trotsky said that Trotsky's ideal society was similar in relation to, to, to what some of the capitalists happened. And, and another point, if you look at the Iraq war, notice how many people that were supporting the Iraq war and the intervention in the Middle East and, and messing around and being adventurous in those contexts, many of them had been uh, on the left. George Galloway, who I met, said that he's seen some of these guys giving out leaflets for the Trotskyists. <laughs> he opposed the war and he opposed in, in, inter, intervention. So it's funny, but at that dimension, the left and the right move between, uh, mm. you know, because really there are certain the same thing, that material world is the most important and that we need to control it. And that as long as they're in the control system, it doesn't matter whether you're left or right. As long as you want to be in that group, that will control other people. Mm. Mm. And do you think the, the lower levels of consciousness that, that is fairly obvious that's in the world at the moment, do you think that the manifestation of that consciousness is heavily materialistic reality? Or do you think that it's because of a very certain few that that's happening? Or do you think it's just because the collective is so collectively quite dense um, consciously that, that the manifestation of it is um, anti-life, if you like? I think that the, uh, the incohate scientocracy or technocracy, mm. and uh, if you look at, for example, cybernetics in Britain, they began to meet after the Second World War, uh, and they began to look at control communication, uh, and they began to exercise it. So these ideas have been put into place. So to a certain extent, the individual has been too trusting of people in authority. And because of that, they've allowed their levels of consciousness to be constantly affected in a way that pulls them down. If you open your consciousness and are looking at 
the rubbish they put out on television every day for a few, that will, of course, affect your consciousness. And we have to consider the process of, of hypnosis. I believe a lot of people are hypnotized. I, I do believe. I know people will, will reject that. But I mean, if, you, if you're, I remember years ago, I knew a hypnotist and I, and I, I asked him about television and hypnosis. And he said it was the best medium for hypnosis. Mm. So people subject themselves to so many images, to so many ideas, so many visual images that they are programmable and they are very uh, placid as well and more and more uh, passive in those contexts and they, that, that even applies to the spirituality they're fed there seems to be a lot of spirituality which is about being quiet sitting down now i heard this of the christian brothers as well sit down and shut up you know that that's what the a lot of the messages is and then they a bit of uh, like in Zazen, the way the Japanese give you a belt. We used to get that <laughs> off the Christian brothers. Maybe they were trying to elevate our consciousness. <laughs> so uh, th there is this kind of pass passivity. Now, mysticism and spiritual, spiritual, spiritual growth uh, certainly does lead to non-violence, uh, uh, but it doesn't lead to passivity. So the idea that you just sit there and question yourself all the time and say, oh, well, it's ego and I'm going to be quiet and still, I'm sorry, but we're going to be steamrolled. Tanks will be going over us if we're doing. And, and I personally would be critical of people, even like the Dalai Lama, who seems to be very accepting of science. I mean, he seemed, he's made comments, if you look at them, that I'm not too happy with that. That doesn't matter about these new conscious machine consciousnesses and that they may be able to, to, to evolve as well so uh, i think he's a bit cavalier to that and, and we have to begin to become critical i think this pope is, is someone that uh, i'm not impressed with he seems to they used to say is the pope a catholic now <laughs> as a rhetorical question uh may not be rhetorical in the future and uh, but the, the bigger question the most historically accurate question uh, which would be rhetorical is the pope a globalist now, the answer has to be yes, because the nature of the Catholic conception of the world is of universal jurisdiction. In fact, they were the ones that advocated universal jurisdiction. And anyone that is opposing them is opposing them because they're in, in, in this power game is because they want to have this universal jurisdiction. That was why communism began to fight with by Trotsky and uh, the others began to realize they had to attack Catholicism because that was the competitor. That's the similar, similar thing in relation to the capitalist or the neoliberal system. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm not impressed by our spiritual leaders in relation to the anticipation of what's going to happen. You might make the analogy with the argument that some of the Buddhists, you know, supported the, the Chinese Communist Party when they're on the long march and all that. Now, of course, it's you could regard that as humanitarian, but it could also be self-defeating as, as a strategy. Yeah, yeah. Passivity is, a, is, a, is an interesting concept because people look at like Gandhi and, and think he was a, a, a sort of passive guy, but the reality was that he was uh, very much into the mysteries and his version of passivity wasn't really passivity at all was it it was it was like a, getting a group of individuals together to stand for for an ideal and then peacefully going out into the world and actually acting whereas he's not just sitting there and letting himself 
be rolled over by the English at the time. No, and um, of course, he learned from having been in London and studying law in, in London, he learned about how the, the imperial system worked and he believed in moral force. And he referred to other figures like Daniel O'Connell, uh, the Irish a Catholic uh, member of parliament who also advocated non-violence. Now, there, there, there's a number of reasons why they do advocate non-violence, but insofar as you're arguing for humanity and respect for humanity, uh, it's an inherent part of the argument that it be non-violent. And also, as we look at the Irish context, the argument is that it's ultimately unsuccessful if you utilize uh, weapons or arms to achieve your purpose. Now, we're not talking about context of self-defense or, or, or those legitimate contexts. Uh, as, as a strategy to achieve your purposes, you might argue in Ireland that it's ultimately successful because the things that we're fighting for uh, have disappeared as, 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 as concerns for people. You know, the idea of a, a cultural heritage that was distinct and all that, 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 that has gone off the agenda. So, um, and, and in many senses, uh, if people could look back from now on the present point, they would realize that there's always going to be an empire. So they, they were fighting against the British Empire, but what happens, it's like the law of energy that empires don't never disappear, they change from one form to another. So the empire that we have to fear is this science, science, empire of scientism, as I call it. The scientocracy, whereby we're ruled by quantification, by surveillance capitalism, by uh, the amount of, of, of things that are watching us, by the internet of things, where they can begin to say, well, Alex, you've had too much, uh, you've had too much uh, food calories today, and begins to control you, whatever. Um, mm. But I mean, w w to have our whole life joined up before we become actually joined up with, with mm. things is the thing that we have to fear, but it has to be, it has to be non-violent. Gandhi certainly was a, a person who utilized his will to achieve his objective and to, to magnetize other people and to utilize the possibilities from mass realization of an issue to mobilize them. Now that's going to become harder because the right to assembly, for example, has disappeared. You can't, you can't assemble when you're, when you're forced to stay at home and you're, you know, as, as the, like animals in the zoo in that sense. So uh, we're getting more and more control into a system where people, all our communications are controlled. We know that from WikiLeaks and just the process of surveillance. So algorithms can manage what people say and do. We, we know that. Mm -hmm. So the possibilities for people to come together are, are much more circumscribed, which creates a, a bit of a problem. And also people are... you. Uh, a year ago, most people didn't know what Zoom was, you know, but now everyone knows what Zoom was. And they talk about it. That's fantastic. It would be fantastic until they pull the plug on it. I'd expect this year that we'll see a bit more blackouts, a bit more loss of electricity, a bit more. And then, you know, people will really be isolated. But, but uh, once you get dependent on the system, you're always vulnerable. And we're getting very, very dependent on systems. Yeah. And that was what Mumford said. We needed a kind of polytechnical approach. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair point. And it, 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 it's easy to, for people to just say, oh, that's just a doomsday approach. It is a doomsday of way of thinking. But how dependent is the average person now on a welfare check, for example? With, in the UK, we have um, the, the Chancellor just 
pumping loads of money into an economy and keeping small businesses afloat in the short term by giving them grants and, and these loans. And it's so short term thinking that I look at it and I just think there's, a, there's something nefarious here because that they're not doing this to keep businesses afloat. Something's happening um, just to keep people happy until a time where they could pull back just with a click of a finger and that could completely destroy people's wealth. We're so dependent on the system that it's just, a, in my opinion, it's just so dangerous for us to live there, but there's no, there's no uh, independent sovereignty around our lives. People my age, millennials, they've, they've never, uh, you know, gone in, into the wild, into nature and fended for themselves or anything. They've, we've all had it real cushy. Um, and, and, and we, and I know for certain in my friends group that people are so dependent now on, on, on government that if they turn that tap off, they'd be on the, on the backside. Yeah, well, if you look at what happened in, in the financial crisis a few years ago in Ireland, there was tapes that came out from the bank and they were having a laugh about how they were going to get the government to pay up to subsidise the banks, billions. They were, they, were, they were having a great laugh and they thought it was very funny. Um, and th this is the contempt they have for people. But you have to, we have to, if people are willing to be treated like that, you have to say, well, uh, these guys are going to win, you know, because uh, mm. if people want to be that docile. So, yes, pumping loads of money, your money into this. So your money is going into wasteful purposes, although they could open, a, they could open things and they could have business. They seem to be quite happy to drive the small businesses uh, to the wall. The tax base is going to be very, very small. Most of these businesses won't recover. The social fabric is, is broken, uh, broke breakdown. So uh, very soon you're going to hear the discourse will be, oh, you have spent so much money that we need a different solution to it. So they will tell you that you have been spending money profligately uh, and therefore you have to therefore succumb to this international settlement, which may come about through the World Economic Forum, Great Reset. Mm -hmm. So that, that will be the grounds for some kind of international settlement, which uh, now, whether it comes this year or subsequently, I would anticipate that we will have a, a digital currency which will come along. It could, it could operate on top of other systems or with them. Mm -hmm. um, it, will, it will be a type of cryptocurrency. It may displace the other ones. That may have been the idea why cryptocurrency was allowed and tolerated because they could take away cryptocurrency in a stroke of a pen, just say it's not, you know, it's illegal to use this uh, as legal term. That could happen. Mm. Um, I would anticipate a currency which uh, probably backed by the Chinese because they're the ones that are going to have the most resources uh, and they can dictate the pace. And they can, that will also shift from the dollar uh, basis of international trade now, I talked to a lot of economists and they could never anticipate that this could happen. I, I think they're wrong on that. Uh, and also, the currency could be related, not to gold, but to something else like rare earths. Now, rare earths, are 17 of them, and China happens to be very, very rich in them. If you go back to the 70s, Deng Xiaoping said it doesn't matter about oil or other resources. China is rich in rare earths. So... You could have a currency which is based in some way on a, on a market notionally uh, in rare earths, which China would dominate. Or you could have a system, even if it didn't, you need all these rare earths for all the machinery, for all the, all the, the, the phones, etc. So in that sense, there'll be a dependency there. Mm. Some people might think that's great, get away from the dollar, whatever. 
but it's, it's, I can't see that we won't have this digital currency if that happens, uh, whether this year or next year, and there'll be all kind of proposals. Well, Alex, you're going to get uh, 10,000, whatever they are, goofers, you know, a month. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, you can stay at home, you do what you want. You, you, you know, you can live your life in leisure. You can do it. You don't have to work anymore because we have all these machines. And don't worry about all those small businesses that are gone because we have these big warehouses now. There's one opening in Ireland, the Amazon Fulfillment Center. So um, I anticipate in the future that the, the new communist, capitalist, materialist, in global, well, world order, as again, H.G. Wells wrote the new world order, with mm -hmm. he, he um, used in his terms, the one that anticipated the Scientocracy. So uh, in that context, it'll be like what they used to have in Britain when they, they called the truck, the truck, there was a series of acts called the truck acts to, to ban this practice. So you worked in a factory, say, in Wolverhampton, and you worked there all week, and you got paid. You got paid whatever uh, sh shillings a, a week. Mm. Uh, but you had to spend to spend that in the company shop. So in, in, in its company store, it was in, in the United States. So you might get your, get your credits, and that would be to spend it in the, in the, in the few stores that you have. It won't be any mm. competition. Now this will be seen to be if you take if you follow the logic of of the the uh, technotronic society. Uh, now the the argument in its favour is it will be environmentally friendly. It can be managed. We can manage flows. We don't have to worry. Uh, I mean, you could uh, you could, I could make the case why it is good as well. You know, you could make the case if if in in the sense of putting an argument. I don't think it's good, but. Uh, you can see some advantages that will be put forward. The environment, logistics, access to this, no, no one's poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's mm. going to be the argument. And that was the idea of technotronics. And that will be, therefore, a way that capitalism and communism can come together. Because I don't, I, they're, they're two sides of the one coin, really. Mm. Believing that everything is about the material world, about goods you have, stuff you have, things you have. And it's yeah. not about about the other thing. And all those other things will seem to be meaningless. So we're, we're, all these opportunities are in play now. And, and uh, we won't have a lot of choice because with what has happened as well since the 70s in particular uh, is that power has shifted away from local, local context. Uh, and and that, that, that's a problem. Mm. Well, why do you think human beings allow this to happen and have let it happen for centuries? Do you think it's lack of psychological like ego development, or do you think it's a lack of spiritual development, or both? Well, I'd have to say, coming from Ireland, uh, that they've been, that they, ha they haven't necessarily been accepting it, because if I go back and look at my relations, going back to me, me, me father's here, but come back to my grandfather's, they're all, they're all mm. fighting the British Empire, as they saw, uh, mm. and going back before, I mean, there was a long period uh, of horrific stuff that happened uh, from famine, bloody blah, blah. So they're always actually, from my family background, conscious of of, mm. of forces. So in some senses, it's it's not a discontinuation of that. So, so we can't underestimate the historical context of what people were struggling, whether they were struggling right. You could take Manchester, for example, and the cooperative movement and the various efforts to have a different approach to uh, the world and to try and have solutions which were different. 
Uh, and th so, th so there always has been, but the part of the rewriting of history is to say there was nothing there before and there was no, you know, it was all bad and, and people weren't doing positive things. Um, the world wasn't as bad as in some senses as they, they tell you about. And in many senses, for example, when I was, now I'm not doing golden oldie days, golden days here and saying everything <laughs> was great in rural Ireland, there wasn't, but uh, I remember when, when I was small down on, on, on my grandfather's farm, and he actually used to use one of these old handheld plows, you know, one of these, I mean, so it was medieval in that sense. But if you look at all the things they didn't have to worry about, it was, it, it, they, weren't as, they weren't as upset about the world in, in many senses. I remember asking people down the country when, when they were doing all this stuff, the world was going to end, it was going to be nuclear war, it was going to be nuclear winter, you're all going to freeze. This was the big message in the 70s. People forget about that now. I remember dreaming about the world disintegrating because that was the message. It was going to be freezing. Nuclear winter was every day for, for a while. Uh, it was going to be so cold because there's this nuclear winter that was coming. You know, you're only a kid, you know, dreaming about all, all this kind of... So I remember down the country and saying to, what do you think about all this nuclear stuff? And they'd never heard of it. They'd no, weren't interested in it, never heard yeah. of it. And they were right not to be concerned about it. So, in, so the, the space that one has is much bigger. But now, as Marshall McLuhan said, if you're, if you're attached to media, it's an extension of your nervous system. So you're tied up. And now they have machines that program us. So we think we're in control. I'm not saying we're not in control, but it's very, very easy to get sucked into a situation where we, we are being played as appendages to a vast network that has a lot of computational power that understands behavior and can manipulate us. Mm. Uh, so so, so in, in, to, get, to finish in the answer, people have been hypnotized. People have been, uh, they have been taught to love their servitude. Yeah. Uh, that's what Huxley told us, that we're going to learn to love our servitude. We think we're free. We have all the language of free, freedom and liberty, but we can, if anyone with a half a brain can see it's been taken away and nobody's going to protect us. The lawyers are not going to protect you. I, I can guarantee you that. Mm. Now, unfortunately, they've been very disappointing. They're not interested in, in rights. They're, they have no love of that. Uh, they're they're self-interest and self-serving from what I have seen. Uh, I'm sad, it saddens me to say that, but I'm going to say it because a lot of them have been cowardly and lacking in, in courage and they haven't been out protecting rights and they've been demonstrating that they've solely been interested in their own rights uh, and their own privileges in, in the sense of uh, economic privilege hitherto. And we can't expect either other bands, politicians are not going to protect us. So there's a general, there's a general problem. A lot of it is modern. It's, it's what has happened in recent years, in, in, in the last generation or two. It hasn't always been, been there, but people's capacity to critically engage and also to be active is being, is, is being reduced by the day. Yeah. Um, the, the, the technocratic society that we're, that we're moving into here, do you think that there's like a, a nefarious agenda to keep people away from spiritual evolution, to keep them down on purpose? And if so, what do you think they actually do to make that happen? Yeah, there is a process. The first one, obviously, is to, to say all religion is bad, to say all wars were created by religion, which is nonsense if you look at the history, if anyone wants to examine the evidence. All religion is bad, it's, it's backward, it's this, that, and the other, and that's a constant message. And then people like Dawkins, who have been you know, fundamentalist 
in their ideology of, of scientism and, and, and ruthless. And then enlisting other people. Here's Stephen Fry going on about it and say, well, why are we, why should our future be determined by comedians? You know, it's a bit, yeah, of a, yeah. and, and there used to be once upon a time, it was probably before your time, Alex, there used to be comedians who are funny, make you laugh. <laughs> What's, what's what the job was? It wasn't to lecture you on yeah, politics. Turning into uh, politicians, yeah. 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 So th there is a process now which is called this, well, I call it dispiriting and it, 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 on two levels. One, it's to make you feel bad so you, you be subject and, and take whatever is coming. Uh, and the secondly is literally to convince you that there's no possibility that you are a spiritual person. And there's even books about this and saying spirituality is bad. The concept that came up they're using the Catholic Church uh, now to say, to talk about spiritual terrorism. So they're linking all these things together. So spiritual will become bad. And spiritual will become bad. They've been trying to deconstruct this because in my view, we're spiritual beings. Uh, and with the enlightenment process, they had to take the idea of spiritual illumination and replace it with illumination. Spiritual enlightenment, enlightenment, Mm. replace it so there's mm. this process of substitution oh so you have a figure which is important in europe madonna so you get then madonna a pop star and you begin to replace it you have madonna the virgin yeah. virgin virgin yeah, it's yeah. a constant substitution so you have the logos the meaning of the universe logos commercial logos you replace it. it's a constant substitution so even the idea of consciousness the idea of consciousness really is trying to get at unsuccessfully the idea of our spirit. The spirit, uh, the spirit is the thing that for me unites it. It's the thing that explains all parapsychology. It's mm. the, it's the essential, the essence of us that is above all the other things. It's the, it's the true self in the Advaita Vedanta context. It's that thing that is behind everything. It's the thing that is observing all this. And that's the thing that we have to access because in that level, when we get into that, that's where our intelligence, our true intelligence is. That's where solutions come. That's where our courage comes from. Courage, heart, etc. It's there. So we have to access that. So other people that want to control you have to convince you that now they're trying to convince you, you've no consciousness. You've no, you certainly know spirit and it's bad to say that you have a, have a spirit. Uh, you, you, you've no, you're not even a person. There's no such thing as a person. No such thing as a self. And going on to post-humanism, humans aren't special anyway. Uh, why should they be regarded as the exception? So then you deconstruct rights, so there's nothing to stop them enforcing their regime. Mm. And you also literally dispirit. That's part of the process. They want people to be downtrodden because a person with conviction, uh, not necessarily with convictions, but with conviction, mm. is a, da a dangerous opposition, like Gandhi showed. When he, did, when he was thrown off the train in South Africa, and he said, well, I shouldn't be treated this way. And he began to resolve uh, and uh, apply his will, marshalling the forces that are there. He realized that he had no choice but to go forward and, and, and to confront, uh, again, in a non-violent sense. But this is the thing that people are not willing to do. And it's the thing that people in the martial arts, for example, engage in. You have to confront an opponent. And for a lot of people, they're now trained not to do so because they're trained to be passive. They're trained to be afraid. So dispiriting is a real thing. So yes, it goes together. You can't, uh, we can see this in Gramsci, Gramsci who realized that you couldn't have communism when you had 
for example, the peasants that would have affiliation to the Catholic Church, you had to destroy that connection because yeah. that would always be stronger. So uh, yes, it goes, it goes together and we will hear more of this and they will begin to attack all spirituality. Uh, I mean, they've ta- they, they, they will ultimately, for example, they will also attack uh, Islam. The, the, there's reasons why uh, the, the, they won't at the moment, but when they abolish Christianity in Europe, which, which Christianity is really sinking, yeah, figures, yeah. it's grown in Africa, but Europe, when they abolish that, uh, they, they will turn the sights towards Islam as well. So my argument would be that people better realize and see, have the shared interest, identify the shared interest they have in spirituality uh, before it's it's deconstructed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the churches around here are. I know, I know the last twelve months is different, but the churches around here are empty. They've been empty for since I've been born. I'm nearly thirty, and I can't. I've never been to church. To be fair, um, mm-hmm. I have in the last few years just to, not not for a Christian context, but just to get the the feeling and the aura of uh, you know of of what that can give to the seeker. Um, what role do you think mysticism and the, the the nature of consciousness itself? What role will that play? Do you think moving forward into a perhaps very split humanity where you have, uh, supposing this is true, like a, a scientific community, a re- the religion of science over here and then maybe the spiritual community over here. Do you think that humanity could actually split that way? Because I know you said we were at a crossroads. Well, sorry. No, please carry on. Uh, Bernal said that that may happen. He said that the... the, the uh, John Desmond Bernal, who wrote the book in 1929, he anticipated that there could be a phase where there would, would be a kind of split. But that split was only because it was strategically impossible for them to dominate. And uh, ultimately, the scientific scientocracy would take over. That, that was the implication. That was the context in which the remaining group could be used uh, you know, as guinea pigs or in, in experiments. Um, and um, there is a history of science using that. So, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm very, very cautious when I see the Dalai Lama saying it's fantastic if we, you know, work with science to learn how all this meditation and all this kind of stuff works. All they're doing is, is yielding their tradition to science. That, that's what they do. And when they have got what they wanted, uh, that will be the end of that. And they, they, they will also utilize that knowledge which is gained from uh, studying those uh, techniques to yeah. uh, to say, well, what is the need for this stuff? Because that's what they do. They're, they're working a lot of scientific people, or some scientific people are working on, on looking at spirituality. It seems very, very good, but they're extracting the method, uh, and therefore there will seem to them to be just an empty shell. Because they keep saying, well, the rest is just dogma, and that's bad. The idea that the dogma is bad. Now, the dogma is this stuff the central core, the central core being in all the traditions somewhere that you have to have compassion, you have to have relationships with the universe, with other people, you have to respect consciousness, you have to appreciate your own consciousness. Uh, and that's manifested in different rules in different ways. But from a perennial f- philosoph- philosophical sense, mm. the core is, is there about obligation, respect for others. Now, so if you take the 
the method, you know, the bulls there, you know, how we can, oh, I can get a bulls this way, this is what they were doing. Hmm. You can see this actually with Wim Hof. I, I, I like Wim Hof's method and what he does, but he's a bit, uh, I don't like his attitudes for spirituality because he says, oh, well, the rest is just bullshit. So he takes the method and with science and then says, well, the rest, the spirituality on which it came from is just bullshit. And I, I don't like when, it, when he has said that. Hmm. Uh, I think he's, he's a bit too cavalier in that context because the spiritual stuff, the core message is the critical bit. These were flowers that came from that root uh, that they, they, they show you. But if you're just selling something, if, for example, you say spirituality is just an experience, so I can give you this, they will work on that very, very shortly. You'll hear about this thing that can give you a spiritual, mystical experience. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything. Mm. It's just, you know, that's not what it is. That's not spiritual evolution. That's some kind of, it's like a, a spiritual vibrator, if you want to, want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. Yeah. It, 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 but it's, it's not the real thing in that sense. Mm, mm. I don't want to take that too far. <laughs> no, no. But that's very, but once again, the, 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 I think we've been conditioned to have that instantaneous hit, the dopamine strike. Um, without the, the level of suffering and, and the path that one needs to tread on their own in order to actually have that experience. So we're, I've got my phone. We're hooked to these things. I, I find myself doing it. I was doing some writing this morning. Halfway through, um, I was stuck mid-sentence and my brain just went to my phone. and I, just, I picked up my phone and I, I turned it off, put it outside the room because it, it's that dopamine strike that we're looking for. So if we... we, we continue that line of thought there with the, um, the, you know, put something on your head and you'll get a, an enlightenment experience. What difference is that to having that dopamine shot uh, of picking up your phone? It doesn't seem to me to be any different. You might, you know, it's like a, an LSD or DMT hit. If you do that in the wrong setting and in the wrong environment for the wrong purposes, that can cause far more harm than, than, than any good. Um, so do, do, would you perceive that to be as such? And, and I think the question is, where do you see suffering or, or the path, the individual path, which isn't meant to be all rosy and, and uh, you know, joyful all the time? Where do you see that role in the human's development? Uh, it, it, it's critical. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about ayahuasca mm. uh, and there is a difference between taking ayahuasca out in the setting in which it came from a traditional indigenous knowledge and taking it as both. Now, I think that we're going to see as part of the process, when you're forcing people to stay at home, all of a sudden they're going to get very well disposed towards all these drugs that will make people happy with their servitude. Oh, I can have a bus, it's great, etc. So I, I, I don't like uh, this. I think there's too much pushing of these pharmaceutical approaches to it. And I think there's going to be a lot more of that if they don't... Uh, if they don't stick it in the water. Mm. Uh, but the uh, suffering, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's critical to it. And, and there's different emphasis. If you look at Buddhism, a lot of it is in avoiding suffering. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be suffering, but it's uh, the idea that y you don't do certain things or follow certain paths that will ultimately cause you suffering in, in, in that sense. So uh, it's too trite to say that it's not about suffering in that sense. Christianity is implicitly about suffering in, in, in some sense. But if you look at John, John Steinbeck said that all the great things came from 
the lonely mind of man or woman uh, mm. that it's 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 the essence of the contribution comes from that distance and we could take that from you know the hero's journey going off on the on on the cave going off to india going off whatever it's an individual thing and one has to one sees that as as an alienating thing these days you know that one is distant from something but distant from from other people is closer to the true self and that's where the opportunity for appreciation of one's own consciousness uh, comes from so the suffering thing is critical the idea that we can avoid suffering uh, becomes a dangerous one when they say a lot of the transhumanists say the reason why you should be a machine is to avoid suffering we don't want suffering and then they will take extreme examples and then they say look at this poor person we have to avoid that and as well as that they're also saying and we can take out the bad things in people you know all that aggressive bit you know when you're feeling a bit angry there you're playing football and you're shouting bad things alex we can take that out alex we can take that out of you and that's where a clockwork orange comes in yeah, and, yeah. and that that argument but this is very very this is very very clear this trajectory and it will come that they'll say all the things that were normal anger and all that See, anger is, is a natural human thing it's not a bad thing some of these things are the thing that drive us to the great things so the that that thing well i want to do that that was bad the experience the, the, when gandhi was thrown off the train in south africa he he was angry and he transmuted mm. that that's the alchemical transmutation but if he didn't have the anger we wouldn't have had the the consequence the idea you just say okay sir thank you very much sir for letting me you know and i'll get the next train if he had been like that or had been applying one of these passive spiritual techniques oh well i must look inside myself and see what was wrong with me when there was clearly an external wrong uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't have gone anywhere so suffering is part of this human experience we're going to be dead a long time i don't know what what people of course there's various degrees of suffering well, for a lot of people in a lot of context they don't experience suffering in in any in, in a deep sense that some other people do now when we're talking about people that have uh, physical or, or mental problems or other problems or in war zones or whatever i mean serious things that, that's a different context but for a lot of people say in the west or in, in other con uh, contexts around the world now they uh, that, that live comfortably the suffering is of, of, of you know it, it has been reduced in many senses by a number of, of indicators mm. but i saw i, I saw a, a, some mention about Denmark being the happiest place in the world, you know, to have these have these things. And now I've been to Denmark a few times, it's a great country and all that, but they don't necessarily strike you as the happiest people when you're there. <laughs> the idea of what a happy person is. They are notionally happy in accordance with certain criteria. Mm. It's not the same as actually encountering jolly people. And if paradoxically, as you know, some of the poorest places in the world, the people seem happier. They didn't, they seemed happier. They seemed happier in some senses in, in, in rural Ireland. Now, I know I get criticism for that when they had nothing, you know, uh, done, you know, so there's other things. But this is the materialist idea. You know, you're only, you're gonna, only gonna be happy if you get stuff and if you get things and you get experiences that are quantifiable. That's the tyranny of metrics, uh, as mm. said. So, mm. Mm. so uh, as a prediction, where do you think we're going? Uh, I don't know if, if, if I want to make it. We're at a crossroads. The crossroads is, uh, now I, I don't, so I don't, want to, I don't want to sound too depressing because I'm not depressed. Yeah, sure. I'm not depressed. 
uh, and and I'm feeling very jolly and very. <laughs> there's a lot of so I don't. We have to get, or I have to be careful not to try and paint a bleak picture because it's very very easy for people to come and say, "Oh, the world is upside down. It's terrible," and that contributes towards dispiriting. I'm not dispirited uh, at all. We're at a crossroads. We need some uh, some sense of a mass a mass awakening of people from their hypnotic. Uh, yeah. the hypnotic spell. And there's, there's some signs of little bits of or more awareness than there was a few years ago. So there has to be that individual growth. You can't do it. I can't take your journey. You have to take yeah. your own journey. I might, someone might nudge you in different contexts, but you take your journey and you taking your journey will contribute towards nudging someone else. So my hopeful bit is that what, as people are going on their mystical evolution, and I can see it, I can see people that are critical, that are positive, they're not against technology, but they don't want a certain path. They understand that spiritual, spirituality is the most important thing. And usually it's outside some institutional context. They're not going to do it by fitting into some big institution, by taking what the, the big daddy says to them, but the guru or whoever tells them to do. Mm. So I, uh, I, I believe that there is something happening in a positive sense, which would reflect what Eckhart Housen talked about in, in the cloud upon the sanctuary as the idea of a congregation of light. But at certain points, people or mystical people begin to come together and they begin to, a person who has been on a journey begins to recognize other people who's on a journey. Mm. So it won't be in any formal sense because any any network which is formal, which is organized, will be captured and will be integrated into the system. The analogy I would take would be the idea of the imaginal. When I, we have a caterpillar, when it's in the chrysalis, yeah. uh, how it changes into a butterfly is it has these imaginal cells and they begin to individually apparently resonate. So, so they begin to change and resonate and that, that's where the, the movement with the same DNA into the butterfly comes from. Yeah. So that would be my scientific analogy of, the, uh, of what's happening. Another uh, image I've been thinking about is when you have these big flocks of starlings, the murmurations flying through the air, mm. that they move together. They're not, they're not following the leader necessarily. They, they all have some involvement in the overall system, which has benefits for them as a group. They don't do it all the time, but they do it now and then. So the idea that there's an alignment, or a, I've talked about a chord. So I'm hoping that internationally, there will be more and more context, contacts between people that can begin to look at solutions, that can begin to uh, solve problems, begin to anticipate problems, warn people, help people to, to wake up in some sense. Mm. The opposite path is that very, very soon we have the new world order. They're talking about it openly, some of the guys, now it's here. The new world order is here. It will be run by people who have no commitment to human rights, who don't even respect the idea of human rights, both communist and capitalist, uh, who, who will try and centralize power to themselves. There is something attractive about power for certain people. Uh, they will have the machinery and the tools to make slaves of 95% of the, of the world's population. They will be slaves that may enjoy their servitude in some way, 
it may be beneficial for some people in some parts of the world to feel they have a greater a greater material position than they did hitherto uh, and we will effectively be slaves and associated with that we have the possibility for our the, the humans to be linked finally into artificial intelligence so that all your ancestral bits as well becomes subdued and subjugated towards towards this uh, system that a, a privileged a privileged class would be able to survive and travel to the other world they would have the shared religion of scientism as part of the empire of scientism uh, no concern for the rest of the people they could justify it on the basis of Malthusian principles too much population of destroying the earth, even though they anticipate that the earth will be destroyed. So uh, that's on the way. I have no doubt about that. I've, I haven't studied that. Uh, and I, I, you can say that's some people would say that's a conspiracy theory. Well, this is the language of the scientists and people yeah. who, who love science, like H.G. Wells. They mm. said there would be a new world order. They said there was an open conspiracy to achieve it. Uh, I think that they, they'll be happy now that they have it. Uh, and the tools that they have now to manage us, to, uh, to stop dissent, to stop people meeting, uh, to even stop the way you think, because they also have, have tools that will be able to interfere with our brain. The reason why they're studying consciousness is not to enhance the individual's consciousness, it's so that we can be controlled. Everything is about cybernetic, all that is about control, that, that control, uh, communication, feedback loops. The internet is a great experiment for them. They can utilize that to develop principles. We will become a biological hindrance in a world which has a lot of conscious agents who are more important than us because they've invested money in them. Uh, artificial simulacra uh, with artificial intelligence who may have rights when we don't have it. Uh, and we certainly have more powers than us, and that's where the, that's where all, all, all roads lead to. It, one cannot avoid the when one looks at the proliferation of drones, when, for example, the uh, the proliferation of robots, robotics, techniques, surveillance, network, satellites in the air. Mm -hmm. It's it's very very clear where it's gone. I mean, uh, how mm -hmm. one could believe that it was just an organic process. And, and again, we can look to people like Arthur C. Clarke, who said that the next stage of evolution would be humankind and machines merging. So uh, I'm using science. Uh, I'm using evidence from what the best science scientists have said is going to happen. Mm. Uh, so it's not something that I've made up. Uh, that's what they've said. I'm just yeah. looking at the consequences. That's not good. That's, that, that's where the choice is, the fork in the road. Now, obviously, a balance between them would be good if we could have spiritual development, respect for the spirit, uh, and optimum use of technology. Uh, but there, there, there is a dialectic force there, and it's not going to happen if people are passive. It's not mm. going to happen if people are trusting in the scientific infrastructure to that extent or the philosophies of scientism. It's not going to happen if people are not going to contest the idea that they're not human, that they don't have rights, they don't have rights which are from the, from the consciousness of the universe itself. And that's another important point that associated with the mystical thing is the idea that you're contacting 
or having some recognition of what is embedded in the universe as higher principles of consciousness. That consciousness is fundamental and that there's ways for it to grow. And that, so when people have a near-death experience, when they go to a near-death experience, they often come back and they realize the impact they've had on other people mm -hmm. and, and their, their relationships. So in many ways, historically and uh, going back in time, people's realization of the other person in that deep sense may have come from these experiences. So we get concepts even of justice that can come from mystical experience. They weren't created by bureaucrats sitting down at a desk saying this would be a good idea because they're not interested in that. Mm. Empires are not interested in the rights of the individual. They're, in, they're interested in the imperial network and sustaining the imperial network. And you, you only need to look at the uh, example of, of the Normans in Britain from 1066 uh, mm. and how they've established with a small uh, amount of people and are still uh, in power, a lot, a lot of them, yeah, yeah. an apparatus of, of control. And in my, in my, um, in my book, I, I did a, a Blue Light September, I had a guy speculating about whether that particular crisis was the final one. And he said, no, it wasn't, because he believed that in his conspiracy th theory idea that uh, everything was based on the Roman Empire that never had, that had never gone away. The Roman Empire was the key thing. Mm -hmm. And that there was a reestablishment of a new Roman Empire. And that, that idea is, is there in a number of different principles. And it all associate with reclaiming Rome and he said he would not, you'd know any of these, whether it was associated with the, that Roman Empire uh, mm. conspiracy in his head, because there would be a Roman name. So mm. I, I wrote that and then I hear Corona, you know, Latin for crown. Yeah. Uh, see, Corona and Ovid, Ovid, the Roman poet. And I began to say, you know, uh, fiction can be stranger than fact in some <laughs> sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, who, you... I sense that that was quite a passionate thing there. Do, do, who do you think or what do you think is behind this? Because there's people like Emmanuel Velikovsky, um, fellow Irishman Michael Tazarian, and, and they talk about the possibility of it being interdimensional entities that actually need control or want control. I don't want to get too much into the fluffy maybe potentially new agey stuff here but do you think that that is a potentiality or do you think it is just psychopaths well the psychopath is a good start yeah the psychopath is a good the psychopathic explanation the idea that there are people that want uh, control that people love control the idea that people uh, there's also another tendency which is not as nefarious but could be dangerous is that certain people can only see the world in a particular way, that their brain is constructed in a particular way that they can only see it in terms of calculations, material things, yeah. that they can't actually see anything beyond that. So they don't believe that anything there is real. But uh, the interdimensional stuff, we don't need to go there because the scientists have explained what they're going to do. And in some mm. senses, if one does go in and say, well, it's, you know, the, the lizards and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it can be a useful tool to stop critical discourse because they say, oh, well, he's that guy. He's into that. He's yeah. another. He's mm. saying that it's the lizards, you know. So, but the, 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 what I would say is that if you accept that there are forces which are uh, negative, 
beyond you know, in the unseen world. And that, that would be accepted by a lot of people. Most people you yeah. want to say, whether people want to call them demons or one like spirits, astral domain, whatever, or sort of for people that believe in a kind of satanic thing or a, a, that there are figures actually, uh, you know, uh, out there. Of course, there are the new Satanists like Michael Aquino. Now. They do believe in, in, in a, a, an, a force, which is a satanic force, which is a theistic force, which is out there. So there are a lot of people that believe those things, uh, whether they exist or not. So the, um, if you accept that there are positive forces out there, a lot of spiritual people say that there are negative forces out there. So it's not, in, it's not inconceivable mm. that if you follow that path, that you accept that there is an input which, uh, which is, is uh, negative from there. But mm. my argument would be that operationally, it manifests in this domain. We can solve the issues uh, in, in this domain. There may be that, that well, there that, that probably is that kind of intergalactic, <laughs> that, that, that idea of good and evil beyond this plane. I don't have any problem accepting that. Mm. But I think once you get into the context of trying to specify uh, that and limiting that, you get into dangerous territory. And you get into dangerous territory, for example, because uh, there's arguments, uh, anti-Semitic arguments used yeah, about yeah. Jews now, uh, that, that, that can sound like that. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a self-defeating argument. So I'm not saying anything against them. I think everyone has to put the two-pence halfpenny word into the uh, equation. Uh, it doesn't help us solve the issue because no, we don't. Yeah. If you can't deal with who, whatever those interdimensional beings, but we can look at what people are doing. We can mm. look at what's around us, and if we're focusing on, on some of the things, we're not focusing on simple things like how we interact with technology. How uh, I'm in a club, for example, uh, doing a bit of martial arts and. So now they're getting, you know, they're, they're, they're moving on to a different system associated with necessities with the current crisis, you know, where you register in your mobile phone and all that kind of stuff. I don't have a mobile phone, uh, so I don't use one. But you can see that there's a gradual creep in all normal, you know, I'll just use your mobile, just do this, just do, you know, and what we do and how we organize systems can contribute towards this network. So even in little things that we have control over, we can influence how we interact. Or, what, or, or another thing, you know, when they started introducing that self-service, you know, you go along to a shop and there used to be a person might say, hello, how are you? How are you, Alex? You keep them well. And then you, all of a sudden it was changed. You go in and the person saying, over here, like, like cattle into it, you know, to, to do the work for them, you know, to, to, instead of paying. And I found that, I, found, I, I didn't. I don't shop anywhere where they, they have that. I find it, and I found it offensive. And it changed. The person was the master and the machine was the master and you were serving it. Mm. So, and you know this thing with capture. So I'm, I'm trying to get into a system and it says, yeah. uh, you know, identify this. So here is me trying to prove to a robot that I'm human. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. People accept it. It's unbelievable. So they talk about the Turing test about a robot proven to us that it's human but in order in certain things you know how many street lights you know I've, I've got other things to do you know when you're doing this how many street lights can you see in this one and yeah. you know and so i'm i'm not only am i proving to a robot that uh that i'm not a robot 
uh, to its, its satisfaction. But it's also getting information about my ability to spot streetlights and certain things. It's getting information, it's picking up information. It's unbelievable. Mm. We accept mm. all these things. We accept them as good, as positive. And none of these things are better than human consciousness. Human consciousness, we have it. We have this fantastic thing that has created all these things. And now we're confusing those created artificial things with the creative element that, that gave us those things. Mm. So uh, that, sounds, that sounds crazy to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, it's only going to get, not worse, but it depends how you look at it, but I think there's only going to be more and more of that type of technology coming in in the near future, to be honest. I can't You're see it slowing down. Alex. I'm sorry, mate, but that's just, <laughs> I just look around and I just see it everywhere. And, uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I, I'm not a dystopian, you know, I don't think that, I, th- I do have faith in humanity. I think humanity are, are good, inherently good. Um, but I just think there's a few things going on behind the scenes and uh, I don't think people have the courage to anymore. I don't think they have the courage to, to stand up against it, unfortunately. But that's just my opinion, and it changes daily. But this morning, that's how I feel. So, yeah. Um, James, where can people find you? We've been going nearly an hour and a half. Uh, where can people find your work and your books? Uh, if they, if they, there's, I have a website, jamestunny.com. I think, I think it's called. I don't remember these names very well. But uh, I have a, a, where my art and that is. And that's, that's a useful, okay, uh, useful starting point. I avoided it for for for, for long. Now, just to finish on that point, mm. I'm not against technology. I used yeah. to teach communicate technology. I'm in favour of, of that, but I'm not in favour of technology which will control us. And mm. and it, that's where the balance is. We have to get the balance right on that and mm. to appreciate the dangers. So I, I, I'm not against. I understand this, but we can have an overuse, and we can we can spend all our time and you know, interacting with the machines if we want to, but it'll be a horrible existence if we let ourselves do that. Um, so so, so th- that's where the balance is. I'm not naive about that. Uh, mm. I've been very interested in technology, but yeah, they'll, they'll find me if they want to find me is, is, the, is the point. Sure. Right, James, thank you for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. You're uh, a breath of fresh air. Uh, well, thanks very much, Alex. I, pre- I appreciate that. And uh, I, I wish you well Thank with you. your own personal journey and your exploration of these topics. It'll be very interesting to see how your views evolve over the next couple of years. Thank uh, you. Well, they'll have to evolve a bit quicker than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thank you. Would, you. would you be open to coming back on in the uh, near future? Certainly, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll certainly continue the dialogue and uh, to, to draw some of the points or criticisms or whatever that that you want to certainly yeah thank you cheers james all the best thanks thank you bye-bye